And just like that, we're recording episode four of Air Power Podcast. Thanks, guys, for downloading us and checking us out. This week, or I should say weekend, uh, we are in a very, very lovely place, if I do say so myself. Um, Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, world's longest air show man it's like five days they have a week two separate air shows they have a weekend show and then they have a weekday show which is rather unique it's almost like a a five-day oshkosh adventure that's not in wisconsin but uh with complete with balloons i should say too but um it's been a good show so far my guest tonight is and has been a very good friend of mine ed vasily from uh commemorative air force flying one of the extremely rare airplanes out there i mean Ed, this is this is the only flying sb2c hell diver out there and you have the privilege and the keys to take this thing all around the country and and have fun with it tell us um, tell us about this airplane now, not a whole lot of people know what a hell diver is unless you play war thunder or you play dcs or any of these other computer games you probably don't know what a hell diver is please enlighten our listeners well scooter thanks for the introduction and uh, you know it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you as well as it's an honor a privilege and a responsibility to fly the world's only airworthy hell diver uh, some of you may or may not know about the aircraft that it's uh, the last airworthy example of over 7,140 aircraft produced between 1943 and 1945. There are only five current uh, remaining aircraft in, in their entirety, one of which is in the Smithsonian. That's number two. Uh, number three is in uh, Chino, California, which is almost completed in restoration. And one other in Bangkok, Thailand, and um, Athens, Greece. So, again, it's an honor and responsibility to fly this type of aircraft, and it it represents some of the best of the best of the pilots that flew in World War II over the Pacific in uh, the Pacific theater of World War II. Now, every aircraft has its its era, and the the Helldiver really made its... I should say it's it's livelihood really in the meat the bones of the Pacific War if I remember right so what like nineteen forty three era nineteen forty four and then generally folks like to like to associate battles with it um, which which battles would they have seen the Hell Diver in primarily well it, it became um, instrumental in replacing the Dauntless in late nineteen forty three so. Most of the uh, island hopping events that occurred after Midway, which everybody understands, was the highlight of the uh, Dauntless aircraft, which is a spectacular aircraft for its time. The Helldiver is known for the uh, uh, Pacific War, and uh, basically the Philippine War, and uh, the, the other island hopping that went and led actually to the bombing of mainland Japan. A lot of people don't understand that, uh, specifically, for example, in February of 1945, the Navy launched a thousand aircraft raid in Tokyo. Everybody thinks about World War II as B-29s and long-range bombing. However, the Navy was very instrumental from uh, New Guinea through the Philippines, of course, the, uh, the Battle of the Philippine Sea, Leyte Gulf. And the bombing and the destruction of most of the naval uh, combat ships that existed after Midway uh, were destroyed by TBMs and SB2Cs 
uh, post um, 1943. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I knew they were. It was one of the backbones of a lot of the CV fleets. When we say CV, we're talking about carrier. For those of you that don't know that. Um, this aircraft that you're flying, obviously, as we said, it's the only airworthy Helldiver. Um, it's flying with a Pratt Whitney R2800, which is the same engine that's on the Corsair, the P47, the Hellcat. Uh, I mean, we're talking like backbone, Navy, pure horsepower. But it's Correct. a bigger R2800, is it not? 2600. It's a, oh, okay, I am, I am, am incorrect. It is a 2600. Yeah, it's an okay. R2600. I could it's a large, swore it was a 2800. I no, am wrong. No, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a larger R2600. You're, in fact, it... Single engine B B twenty five. That's correct, but it's not seventeen hundred horsepower, which most of the twenty six hundreds are. That's nineteen hundred horsepower. Okay, so it is bigger. Yeah, and yes. you're swinging actually a Hamilton standard propeller as opposed to a Curtis Electric. Yeah, when when the aircraft was rebuilt after a, a, a landing accident many many years ago, the Curtis Electric prop was replaced by the Hamilton standard. It's only four inches. Everybody knows that the Corsair has the largest propeller in inventory in the World War Two aircraft. And it's only four inches less in diameter than the Corsair propeller. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's it's right up there with it. Yes. So this aircraft that you folks are, are operating, when I say you folks, meaning the Commemorative Air Force, and mm-hmm. you're based in Texas. Yes. Um, the aircraft lives where in Texas? Um, in the winter time, it lives as a guest to the Lone Star Flight Museum in, in Ellington Field, Houston. Okay. Um, and, and one of the aspects of our uh relationship with other entities we reach out to other groups and we've been embraced by the lone star flight museum is in recognizing that our aircraft is very very unique so when the airplane is no longer on tour it goes to uh, ellington field and is on display there interesting so in the off season a lot of our listeners and a lot of our fans can can travel to ellington field and actually come and see the beast as you guys as is affectionately known um and this one is built is this one a Curtis or is this one a uh, under license built Helldiver no, by any chance? Actually, they were they're almost in the entirety of the seven thousand one hundred Helldivers were built in Columbus, Ohio, um, but there were nine hundred aircraft by built in Canada by Canadian Car and Foundry. Okay. However, that this makes one sense. Is, this one was produced in uh, Columbus and was. Uh, Delivered to the Navy in January of 1945, went to San Diego. It flew anti-submarine patrol there, then went to uh, Corpus Christi as a target tow post-war. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then mustered out of the Navy as a uh, surplus sail to an aer- aero mechanic school in North Dakota. I noticed a lot of the aircraft that are still flying today, whether it Warbird or any, any of that stuff, they did a little stint in one of these now 147 schools, these, you know, these uh, uh, maintenance schools, uh, aviation schools. And that's interesting. Once again, another aircraft that was saved by that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by coincidence, uh, the aircraft that we're flying with uh, here in uh, Battle Creek was the uh, Dauntless Dive Bomber with the Dixie Wing of the CF. And it, too was a surplus sale to the same aeromechanics school. I'll be damned. Yeah. And, I'll and, be damned. And, and, and a lot of people don't know the story. And it was actually bought by Talashe, Doug Talashe in, in uh, Chino, California. Both sat in a, in a uh, yard there with Doug. And then somewhere in the 70s, a, a, uh, indivi- an, an individual purchased both of those and donated them both to the CF. So, in essence, 
the, the one of the most rare rare aircraft that are flying, and particularly this show, the Dauntless Dive Bomber and the Helldiver are sister ships. That's unbelievable. So while we're on that discussion, uh, you primarily have put together this this wonderful act, Prowlers of the Pacific, mm-hmm. and it has the headline fighters of the U.S. Navy in it. Yes. As well as bad guys in it. I mean, we won't really talk too yeah. much about them. But, I mean, well, um, really the focus is on education for this generation into the war in the Pacific and how yes. and how it's a lot of these stories are being lost. You know, we're still losing 400 of these vets a day, 400 World War II mm-hmm. vets a day. Absolutely. And you're in my lifetime. We're going to see them go bye-bye. Oh, uh, You yes. are telling – you single-handedly in your group of, of friends – and Pacific Prowlers, Prowlers of the Pacific, excuse me, are responsible for helping the greatest generation live forever because that is how you make somebody yes. immortal is tell stories about well, them. Tell well, us about... Well, the, the, the thing that is, has always, in my mind, been underrepresented in history is what the young men did over the Pacific flying these aircraft off of a straight-deck carrier into a combat zone uh, of over 5,000 miles, square miles, actually 250,000 square miles of ocean to fly, fight a war. Imagine just taking off in an aircraft that doesn't have GPS, doesn't have any sort of sophisticated navigation, going to a combat zone, flying the aircraft, and then having to come back and find an airport that's been moving at 25 knots for four or five hours. That, to me, is just an incredible story that is so underrepresented and it need, it's a story that has to be told because we have to give reverence to these young men that flew off those carriers into the netherlands of the war in the Pacific. Not only that, I mean, let's when we when we say these these young men, we're talking nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old kids yes, that absolutely. are fly, that are given these these weapons of war. I mean, these guys can these guys can barely vote and drink alcohol, yeah. and they're given a, a weapon of war and told to. Once again, go fly four or five hours and then go find uh, something the size of representatively a breadbasket sure. floating out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean later on. Well, it's a feat. It, it, imagine, imagine driving your car, uh, new age people. Uh, imagine driving your car without Siri, without your navigation, without road maps because it's the ocean. And now you got to figure out where the hell you're where the hell you're going back to in a place where you've never driven before. It's yeah. it's that's a still kind of a poor representation of it but get well, the gist of it and, and and to further that analogy the european theater was mostly over land and if you had to have an, a, a bailout or emergency landing chances are whether it was in enemy territory or, or in friendly territory you knew that there was a chance that you put had a chance to put the airplane down on ground somewhere now you're over the ocean and whether your airplane runs out of gas, you're lost, you're combat damaged, you're injured. Any you of the no above. Choice. Yeah, at that yeah. point. All you no. have to do is, even though it's a poor representation of the book, uh, the movie Unbroken really sort of drives that home where these guys oh. are in a raft for 30-some-odd days. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And finally you're hallucinating, you're, you're dehydrated, you're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hell. It, it, war is hell. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it is a fact that more aircraft were lost in the Pacific combat theater to unknown circumstances than the known, as in more people were lost and never to be heard from again. Combat is one thing, but when you show up on an aircraft carrier and your bunkmate's gone, 
you have no idea what ever happened to them. And you'll never know because it's it's the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. Exactly. Um, yes, absolutely. And that's what you and you guys are constantly telling this story with Prowlers of the Pacific. You're talking about the heroism of the guys at Midway, the guys at Lady Golf. They, I mean, we're talking everything in between, right on, right on up into the the mainland of Japan. Sure. And you know, you you guys, when you guys got together, you, it's really unique. Um, you know, we are blessed men. The fact that we get to get the opportunity to keep to get the keys of these national monuments, as as, as Ed Shipley used to say, there's no difference between uh, flying one of these warbirds and taking the Washington Monument around the patch. There's no difference. That's correct. But here we are. Now we're all in the same airspace, and now we have a story to tell. When well, I say we, I'm talking about Class 45. Yeah. And uh, Prowlers of the Pacific. Well, as I've said over my lifetime, it's an honor, a privilege, and a responsibility to fly these aircraft. But more importantly, as you know, Scooter, we are but caretakers of history. That we are. And and th- th- these aircraft and the stories that can be told will far outlive both of us if, as long as there's enough petroleum and rubber products to, to maintain these aircraft. Absolutely. It'll definitely outlive me, that's for sure. Um, and I'm a little bit older than you. So, so slightly, right? I mean, uh, I mean, you look great for 35. So. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that compliment. But I'm, I'm, I'm almost twice that, but thank you. I, I hear you, brother. Well, I mean, you're in real quick, I understand it's more about the airplanes than about the pilots, but mm-hmm. why don't we give these guys a little background into yourself? You, you were... You were one of you were one of the kids that just absolutely busted your ass whenever you were younger. You you became a, a corporate pilot at eighteen. I mean, t- tell the story. Give it. Give us the Reader's Digest version of you. Well, uh, you know the story's not about me, but but here's what I'm. Uh, my message I would say to younger generation. The, the 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 one of the most fascinating artifacts in the National Air and Space Museum to me, and I saw this many many years ago was they actually found a carved artifact in one of the Egyptian pyramids of an, of an aircraft-looking thing. It looked like a half-bird, half-airplane. And that tells me 4,000 years B.C. that people were looking up. And human nature has been, over the years, to look up in the wonderment of the stars, the planets, the birds... And, you know, we know about Leonardo da Vinci, and we know about the Wright brothers, and we now are reaping the benefits of their imagination. It's, it's, it's disappointing to me to not see kids looking up in wonderment because there's so much more to look up to in, in so, so many ways. And I was one of those young kids. I looked up all the time when an airplane flew over, and it just somehow inspired my uh, desire to want to be a pilot, but that's not the whole thing. The whole thing is being somebody that we, Scooter, you and I, we get to be pilots because we have a three-dimensional aspect of a life. If you drive a car, you ride a motorcycle, you have a skateboard, you're locked into a two-dimensional world. And the bottom line with an airplane pilot or anybody involved in our industry, it's three-dimensional, and that kind of freedom is what drove me. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's the the one thing that I was um, emphasizing to you last night, and a lot of our listeners actually are uh, members of, is the community called War Thunder, which is a, a gaming network on online. By the way, you can fly a Helldiver on there. Oh, cool. You can. Absolutely. And it kind of sort of looks like yours. Well. A diamond on the tail. Well, that, that one, it's, really? It's, it's kind of cool looking. But anyways, 
these these kids they might not be looking up yet because we haven't gotten them <clears throat> kids to an air show where these airplanes actually fly and i understand look i understand that takes time away from your gaming points and all that other kind of bullshit but however comma come see these airplanes fly get on and look at uh first off before i before i really plug the hell out of you where can our listeners find more about your wing of the commemorative air force even join now folks here's here's the one thing that and i haven't even told you about this one but i my listeners have have heard this before number one question you guys ask how can you get involved in warbirds i get this international i get it domestic hell i got it a couple times this weekend the man that i'm sitting in proximity to right now is exactly who you need to talk to and become friends with because he is with the commemorative air force. If you guys want to make a difference, if you guys want to keep these aircraft flying beyond my generation, join the commemorative air force. I joined years ago. And unfortunately I'm not active because I, I, my, my mission has shifted in other, in other regimes. The CAF has done phenomenal job of keeping these airplanes airworthy and restoring other ones. And Keeping the even rarer ones like um, like a hell diver flying B twenty nine the B twenty nine look at Fifi that airplane exactly. has flown for I mean I remember it as a kid exactly. flying and you know, I remember when it was Confederate Air Force and it set it on the fuselage I remember that well I'm not going to so, go there exactly but. but my point is that's that's how long this airplane's been flying but join the CAF if you if you have a chance there's there's wings all over the country yes. so what let's say you have to drive a couple hours on a weekend to go volunteer with them or go on tour with them which by the way the hell diver goes on tour but the reason why I'm plugging this guys and girls is Go to the Commemorative Air Force's website, find the nearest wing, and make a difference. There's also museums all around. I, I, and I understand we're here with a CAF member, but there's also air museums. If you're in Florida, you have no excuse not to be a part of any of the any of the museums down there. Titusville Warbird Air Show. This, uh, go down to Miami and go to the uh, Miami Air Museum. Those There's there's tons of places in, in Florida that you can do it. In, in Southeast, in Georgia, in South Carolina, West Coast. You can't throw a rock without plinkoing off of two of the damn things out there. Oh, we're here in Michigan in, in the Detroit area. You have the Yankee Air Force. You have the Yankee, yeah. world-famous yeah, Yankee yeah, Air Force. You have the Air Zoo here in uh, Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. Absolutely. They're everywhere folks okay, and when so, you guys want to do this they're everywhere yeah. get on and look for these places so, so from my perspective scooter and and your point is exactly correct to the listening audience and i suspect that based on your input that they're younger in nature just understand that the average pilot in one of these world war ii airplanes whether you're flying a p-51 like scooter does or a sb2c that i fly or a b-17 or whatever was 21 years old Think about those that that aspect. You were an adult. You were responsible for the flying of a combat war mach- machine when you were 21 years old. And the young guys, and at that time they were mostly men, of course. Um, they were in the gunner positions. Were 17 to 19 years old. But here's the other aspect of history that you you got to put in perspective. The war was was a very equal opportunity war, and it employed women and minorities in all aspects of the effort. And it was very uh, instrumental in changing the way that, that the United States became what it is today. 
I know some of you out there think that the world is a way different place than it was earlier, but let me tell you, the opportunity that was given to women and minorities during that time period set the stage of what's happening today. And and we're talking essentially all minorities. You have the 99th Infantry Regiment, which was the uh, which was the Asian um, Infantry Regiment, actually in the European theater. Mm-hmm. You've got the Aztec Eagles, which flew people. We talked about them last night. They flew P-47s in right. the. Uh, they were Mexican Air Force. They were a division of the Mexican Air Force. Flew P-47s in uh, the Philippines. You had the world famous Tuskegee Airmen, the women's air service pilots. I mean, the, the, everybody made a difference. The, this country came together. In a time where tyranny and oppression was was the enemy staring us right in the face, Absolutely. and everybody came together. Now I understand yeah. it was a different world back then, but at the same time, we can celebrate all of this. It's we're all in this together, and it's and it is about telling the story, not just about them, but about these aircraft. And that's why I wanted to. Now we're going to sort of get into the fun rounds here, because okay. I mean it's always the basic questions you get mm-hmm. at air shows. All right, so how fast does this hell diver go? Well, cruise, it's it's not very fast. It's 170 knots, so let's call it 200 miles an hour at sure. cruise. But once the dive breaks, the, 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 the operational aspect of the aircraft was fly over the target. There's a flap extension speed of 120 knots, so they would have to slow down, extend the dive brakes, and then it could dive on target. The, the red line on the airplane is 350 knots. Once the flaps are extended, then they could dive at a, anywhere between a 70 and 90 degree angle. And the guy in the back, the gunner in the back, not only was a defensive guy, but he also had an altimeter in the back so, to remind the pilot in front when it's time to pull out. <laughs> Two eyes are better than one. Exactly. If you look at even because, you know, one, of the, one of the aircraft's flying be, here today, we yeah, had because super the, hornet. Yeah, because the, pro, the pilot was target fixated, yep. and if he, if he got too target fixated, then he'd just splash. And I actually... Uh, met a Hellcat ace many years ago, and he said he felt sorry for the dive bomber pilots because he saw them splash many, many times. I'll be but, damned. But the point is, you imagine diving down on a target that's straight down uh, for two to three minutes um, at 280, 300 knots, whatever it is, and then having any aircraft fire coming at you and still have the temerity to stay on target and drop the bomb. Yeah, I hear you. So what kind of armament did this airplane have? Okay, the, well, the Helldiver was very unique. The Dauntless that it replaced was uh, very significant in the changes. Um, the biggest changes were the fact that the armament, uh, the bombs were internally stored in a bomb bay, just like a regular bomber. Um, it had two forward-firing 20-millimeter cannons. I don't know of any other U.S. aircraft in uh, World War II that had two forward-firing 20-millimeter cannons, had the capacity to carry carry 2,000 pounds of bombs internally, carry 500 pounds each center section, and it could carry four rockets each outer wing panel. It was the equivalency of, in today's terms, like the A-10 of its time. That's unbelievable. That's a that's a lot of ordnance for an aircraft. Yes. I mean, we're talking. We're you're you're teetering on Sky Raider range there. I yeah. Mean, well, uh, yeah, and, and exactly. The, the Sky Raider ended up replacing the, the Hell Diver, but that's correct. No. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's it's guys like yourself that are helping keeping this thing this thing alive. Um, from a maintenance standpoint, is it a big maintenance hog? I mean, I understand Warbirds are be made made to be maintained by five and six guys, yeah. but comparatively to all the other animals in your stable at the caf 
Actually, no. It's uh, it's proven. I've been flying the airplane for 13 years now, and uh, you know I probably have about 500 hours in the airplane, maybe a little less. And outside of normal maintenance, you know, wear and tear of uh, cylinders for engines and so on, it, the airframe is, has been relatively reliable. And here's the incredible aspect of this airframe. I'm in, I'm in the corporate aviation business, and I'm involved in uh, normal aviation uh, maintenance. This airplane, which is over 70 years old, virtually has no exterior or interior corrosion that we can find. That's unreal for a Navy airplane. Yeah. And, and the fact is that the Navy had some sort of priming technique and or preparation. And to this day, I can tell you, we, we repainted this airplane seven years ago, and I found only two areas of corrosion. And it's a tribute to however they prep these airframes for combat. That's unreal. All right. So on a lighter note. Yes, sir. The famous air power podcast question. We're gonna we're gonna shift to more to more uh, lighter notes now. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna fly one airplane from history, no matter how challenging the logistically it is. It doesn't matter for the duration of the gas tanks. But however, there's a catch, just like everything else. Every dream that we always have as a pilot, there's always a there's always a damn catch. At the completion of this flight, you have to surrender all your pilot certificates, and you can never fly again. As a matter of fact, you can't even fly in the first row of first class because that shit's too close to the cockpit. Hmm. Which airplane is it going to be? You know, we had this discussion before. We, we did, and I, yeah. I really I want to get this now. I <laughs> See that? See that okay. little bar going up and down? Yeah, it's yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to change my answer. Oh my, that's ballsy. Okay. You know what? I'm going to change it to because I had the I, I gave this some thought. The airplane that I'd absolutely would surrender everything thereafter is I want to fly the Spirit of St. Louis. That would be cool. The original one, obviously. That's correct. Yes. The original Spirit of St. Louis. So you're going to take off and go to Paris. Yep. That, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's a take unique off, one. Fair, you know, fly 33 hours and 33 minutes or whatever it was. And when I land at Le- Leberge, I'm done. That, that'd be a hell of a way to go out, man. That's what I just, <laughs> that might I had be to the most unique it. answer I've uh, heard. Yes. But however, and, and your homework, youngins, is to, is to watch the Jimmy Stewart movie. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, you will get this reference afterwards. If a fly is flying with you in the cockpit, does that, does that count as weight? Well, <laughs> well, if he's airborne in yeah, the airplane. Or does that make that the world's fastest fly? All questions we're going to have to have answered yeah, one of these it's, days. It's like when I had my one of my spark plugs flown down to uh, a, a ranch I was in in South Texas in an F5 at probably Mach 99. It's the fastest uh, spark plug in the world. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I thought. I said, that's the fastest, the fastest, fastest spark, plug spark plug ever. Ever. It's the fastest ever. that thing has ever yeah, gone. absolutely. That is yeah. awesome, man. You well, hey, man, it's it's a pleasure coming on the show. We're talking about hell divers, as we said. Um, if you guys want to find out more about this, where can they find your the, information? Well, the, primarily at the commemorativeairforce.org. It's all spelled out one word, commemorativeairforce.org. And in as much as I love the hell diver and I'm part of the West Texas Wing, I, I, wherever you are, there are people out there that are my age that will embrace you guys and if you have some real intellectual and and uh 
curiosity and desire to perpetuate history, you will be embraced. Trust me. There are people out there like I and Scooter are love to exp- share our experiences. And we were talking about this earlier to go out and make a difference. And the difference is that you guys can make is perpetuate the history of your parents and grandparents and maybe in now your great-great-parents because they truly are the American heroes. I would agree with that. I, I do know why you do air shows, though. And that is? It's to hang out with me and drink Monkey in Paradise. Well, you know, uh, you know everybody has out. a... F- now it's on the interweb. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows. Everybody has a flaw. Everybody <laughs> Maybe that's perfection. You never know. You never yeah, know. well, and whatever. Look, I saw you staring at me taxiing out today. I know you want to be a Mustang pilot one of these days. Look, look I do have a Mustang type <laughs> rating. I have flown a Mustang, but nobody can fly a Mustang like you, Scooter. I appreciate that, Sped. You're the man. So, Prowlers of the Pacific, Commemorative Air Force, two things. Do the Prowlers of the Pacific have a website or a Facebook page? No, or not yet. We're okay, we're, we're working on that, yes. folks. But, however, you might be able to find their, uh, a lot of their information on the ICAST website because they're listed on a lot of the, uh, lot of the air shows. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, as always. Thanks, it, is, it is a it is a pleasure, and for all yeah. you folks out there, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for seeing us. If you like if you like our podcast, please by all means. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that we're gonna have a contest for you folks. Whoever can comment, this is through the end of July. My birthday is July 31st, so here's what we're doing. This is the, we're recording this at the beginning of July. So here is here is the challenge. For those of you that download this on iTunes or Google Google Play, uh, Pocket Cast, any of the any of the uh, host sites, if you give us a five star rating and a good comment, you will be automatically entered to win a ride in Quicksilver. That's right. So you guys want to learn how to get a fifty one ride? I will put the back seat in for the winner of this contest. Wow. So from here. On through the end of July, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a, p- a podcast every single week, possibly even twice a week now, for the duration of July. And I uh, apologize that we haven't been with you guys since uh, since McDill, but there's been a lot of stuff going on, which we'll update you on the next podcast. However, thank you guys for tuning in. Give us a five give us give us a thumbs up, five star like, subscribe, and uh, we will see you guys later.